Boys and girls, welcome to episode 4 of Room 2250. I'm your host, Hayden Indeem, along with my co-host, Christopher McCarricker. So Chris, on the on the first podcast, on the first episode, we had a we had a question come in from a from a like future listener who yeah. said, uh, "Is this is this podcast going to be about nerd culture nerd, and gaming?" Yeah. And do you remember what you said? We said, "No, of course absolutely not." not. Yeah. You know, we we're gonna this going to be something more casual that appeal to everyone. Yeah. So I guess we uh, we lied because today because <laughs> today we have a very uh, special guest. Please welcome uh, DCS associate professor Steve Angles. Hey, how's it going? Good, Steve. How are you today? I'm doing great. It's Friday. I'm psyched for the weekend. How are you, folks? Uh, We're doing um, good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a. Uh, it was like a bit of a rough morning, but I think now, like the afternoon, we had yeah. some pizza. I think it's mm-hmm. it's getting a bit better. Yeah. I mean, we got midterms still. Like yeah. some of you do too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, Steve, for those of you who don't know, uh, who are you and like what do you do? So I'm Steve Engels. I am the one of the associate professors of teaching in the Department of Computer Science. Um, in terms of what I do, most people here know me from the second year course I teach, which is CSC 258, yeah. and a few other people know about the fourth year course I teach, which is CSC 404, the video games course. But I also do a bunch of other things, uh, second year summer course 299, uh, research opportunity program, and teaching a first year course on video games for the first time in a few years. Okay. Okay. Yeah, th- that, that's something fairly new. I remember when I was in first year, we mm-hmm. didn't have anything like that. Usually this, it's a seminar course, and every department has to offer a few. And if the research faculty are interested in teaching them, then they get first crack. Yeah. But uh, if an opportunity opens, then I get to teach it. That's, so that's I haven't, cool. haven't done it since 2013. I think it's a good thing, too, because usually, at, le- at least for a first-year CS student, there's usually, it's kind of just 108 and 48, mm-hmm. nothing kind of that dips your tone to the cool parts of computer science. Well, also, it's not just for computer science students. It's for all of arts right. and science. So right. I have people in the class who are in like, criminology, life science, humanities, uh, some from Rotman, you know, oh, all over the place. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I just, I you just, can still, you can maybe I can actually for next semester, I can drop one of my, I still have 100 right. level, I still have 100 level credits. Yeah. Mm. So I can drop my, I have, I have some other like religion, like so course, so I can drop that and maybe take that. That'd be cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Who religion? Uh, (laughs) Uh, right. so for uh, housekeeping we have like uh, one bit of news which is on the 31st of October Halloween Mm -hmm. the CSCG is having a movie and costume night and we're going to be giving out a free prizes what's the movie is that announced yet Uh, we haven't I don't think we've chosen yet but it has to be like something horror related of course of course but like they want something that's horror and CS related so I'm like nothing Mm. (laughs) like oh oh there's Tron no there's that one where the was it Pulse which yeah. one's that? I think it's the one where like the cell phones are kind of transmitting evil things. Oh, I, I remember that. seeing that in high school. That was that was a it's one of those horribly like you laugh. It's one of those movies I think that you laugh. Oh, okay, maybe it. could uh, Unfriended work? Unfriended? I don't. Know, I haven't. That's the one where the whole thing takes place over chat windows. Oh, you know that would that would be pretty cool actually. Yeah. Is, that, it, is it like is it good or is it like bad or is it fun bad? It's. I mean, it's kind of funny bad. Oh, okay. okay. It gets funnier with more people in the room. Perfect. Uh, okay. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Then. Well, well, we'll definitely we haven't chosen yet, but I think we'll put that into consideration. Yeah, mm-hmm. but we are giving out prizes for best CS related costume, best prof costume. What's a what's a prof costume? Let's stop there. It's like it's like well, it's a professor. Like the like a costume that professor's wearing, or or a costume of a professor. <sighs> I think we should have two different categories now. <laughs> I think that's good. Yeah, I think uh, actually that's a really good idea, Chris. Uh, I I we gotta, I gotta double check on that one. <laughs> And then we're giving out top five best costumes this general, right? Which uh, so a lot of a lot of prizes. 
Yeah. I don't know who's funding this. <laughs> I definitely didn't want to sign off this. But. I won one of those ones. Yeah. Oh. yeah. I came dressed up as Mario and I got a prize. Oh. I think I've seen that picture actually before. Here we go. Pulse. When their computer hacker friend accidentally channels a mysterious wireless signal, a group of co-eds rally to stop a terrifying evil from taking over the world. That's amazing. Okay. Yep. Wes Craven. Nice. Wes Craven. Okay. Okay. I, that has to be taken <laughs> into consideration for sure. All right. Okay. Any... Uh, any Housekeeping from you, Chris? No. No? Okay. Everybody's good? So now we're going to go into news, and uh, we have a lot of news today. Yeah. So first bit of news, the varsity. Uh, I'm pretty sure everybody right now should have maybe heard about this in one way or another. Yeah. So three years in the making, two years, sorry, two years in the making, the UTSU has uh, sand- settled with uh, Sandra Hudson. Uh, it's 11 days before the actual trial, yeah. and she had to pay back a certain amount, but it's undisclosed. Yeah. You know, I've been seeing a lot of people giving hate to the UTSU. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. We don't know the, the, the conditions. We don't know the terms. Maybe, like a lot, most, most of the union did, did vote yes. Only a few people voted no. Maybe there was a good reason. Like maybe there genuinely was that, we, that they can't disclose to us. For I don't reason. know, man. I feel like... I mean, I don't want to like get too much into this. But yeah. it's just like, you know when you make a vote and uh, they run know. on a platform and they don't... Yeah. It's like demand better. It's more like expect the same. <laughs> uh. Do you, do you pay attention to UTSU politics at all? Nope. <laughs> Most people don't, I think. I think it's sometimes for the better. <laughs> Probably. But that's the only bit of uh, varsity news that at least this week was important. Uh, but then the rest comes from, uh, most of it's going to come from BBC. So Facebook wants 1 billion people in VR. And, that's uh, th- never going to happen. <laughs> they're, yeah. making, they're launching something called Oculus Go. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, yeah. Which is going to be uh, IQ- VR headset that starts at 199 see like for most people buy like a phone is what i mean they'll buy a phone some people some people will buy a laptop even that's kind of niche now though i can't imagine someone spending 200 dollars if they're not a hobbyist for what genuinely is a hobbyist device you know a billion like they only hit a billion people on facebook what like a year ago two years ago three Mm -hmm. there's no way i mean it'd be cool i mean vr is one thing Right, but their Oculus device. I mean, 199. If it's not going to be something that you use all the time, how are you going to carry it with you? Exactly. Um, I was just talking to Karan Singh this morning, and he showed me this this add-on to your phone. It's kind of like cardboard, only it's basically just like a. It's almost like it takes. It, it makes it almost like those stereo viewers. Okay. You know, those old-time yeah. ones where you had like a couple lenses you looked into. Is it the Google, the Google cardboard? Is it that what it is? Oh no, it's it's something neat. It's just like it clips onto your phone in the middle okay. and it extends out two lenses that you look into oh wow oh, so cool. you don't have the actual box and this thing folds up and tucks into your pocket that's really cool so it's basically VR that can come with you anywhere and you don't need all this fancy equipment yeah that so is cool see like stuff like that it's like I don't know I'm not I mean there's VR... some, there are some fun uses for it too like you can watch like Netflix and VR and stuff on your phone but like A your phone just gets insanely hot yeah. after like an hour so it's really hard to use and also you're watching it like 720p now you need like a 4K screen first of all for this to be even remotely good. It's, yeah, uh, I think um, it's early. It's an early stage. This is what I think. So, but our boy uh, Mark Zuckerberg doesn't think so. And actually, so the bit of one news I want to attach to this is that um, so this is a virtual reality tour, right? And oh, yeah. For promotion, and uh, it was including Mark Zuckerberg in cartoon form, and they were touring like I guess America, including Puerto Rico. And so all you see is Mark with his, like, hands up and, like, make smiles and, like, an absolutely destroyed Puerto Rico. It's just, like... Was there, did he mention it? Like, like they, were talk, they were trying to make sympathy, but it was just obviously uh, a PR stunt. Yeah. 
and it just looks so bad. And, like, and then he made it like apology post. Like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend anyone. I'm like, in his defense, he probably didn't give the go ahead for that. It's probably a different marketing team that. I mean, that's kind of their one job is to not have PR nightmares. So, you know, maybe consider hiring different people. <laughs> I just thought it was like, yeah, we're gonna go to this uh, place that's destroyed. It's People's cra- lives are gone. That, see, that's just that's crazy to me because there literally are people like people at Facebook. Their job is to not make a huge mistake like that. That's like their job is to like make good videos that won't be like controversial. Fair, yeah. So I don't know how they mess that up that bad. But. No. There's a, so the next bit of news I have is uh, in Australia, uh, there was a, a, a person who had, uh, like, you know, took his own life. Right. But in his phone, he had an unset, unsent text that was his will, essentially, and the court accepted it yeah. as his actual will. That's, that's fair, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, so all his stuff went to his, like, brother and nephew. But, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't think it would because, like, usually, like, uh, Wills have to be signed off by like two people, at least in Canada. Yeah, but I, but I thought usually rule of thumb is they'll still try to respect the wishes of the person if there's proof that they wrote it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess. I guess. I guess. Like, uh, this is the power of unsent text messages. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, try not to send your texts if you want to have them hold up in a court of law. <laughs> rule of thumb, right there. Probably rule of thumb. Um, in a bit of good news, Microsoft has finally given up on Windows 10 for mobile. <laughs> <laughs> Which Good is <laughs> I used to use the Windows Phone actually. <laughs> How did you like it? Honestly, it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. It was it was actually really good UI. We, uh, had, a, we had a bunch. Yeah. yeah. So you guys both used it. I didn't use it. They I gave used Windows. Yeah. Windows and oh, sorry, Microsoft and RIM and Google basically give us phones every so often so that we can develop yeah. stuff on their platforms. So when Windows phones first came out, yeah, they sent us about half a dozen of them. Just so we could see what kind of things we could make on them. Yeah. Well, how did you like? How did you find them? They're fine. They're fine. <laughs> the own development environment is familiar. It's just, yeah, we couldn't come up with anything really compelling that hadn't already been done. And the issue is too, like, uh, iPhone and Google, roughly, roughly same UI in a way. I mean, they they both have their strengths and weaknesses, but kind of the same style of layout. Uh, Windows was vastly different. It was like a tiles, like a tiled. Yeah, thing kind of like Windows 8, if you remember. At least I, I think so. I haven't seen their Windows 10 phones, so it wasn't even like you could just easily port your Android apps or your or iPhone apps over. Kind of, kind of like what some companies do with their Android and iPhone apps. They're very similar. They couldn't do that. They'd have to like establish something entirely different with an entire kind of design perspective in mind. So what ended up happening was a lot of apps were kind of either half-assed or they just weren't there. So the so the unfortunate thing is you had a really cool UI, very original, but there wasn't any apps for it basically which was unfortunate but uh, I guess that's the way it, that way it is sometimes yeah, yeah. well yeah that they, the, the chief behind Windows Sense said it's no longer a focus and he himself actually started using Android <laughs> so it's uh, yeah I mean they're bringing they said they're bringing Edge over to mobile their uh, Edge is their they're, the, the successor to Internet Explorer which I have heard good things from yeah. actually with Edge though from what I've heard, it's not really going to be Edge on the browser. It's just going to be Edge a name okay. with a different backend. Fair enough. But uh, anyways, that's that's what our Windows 10 news. Um, so from New Zealand. Uh, I'm sure maybe you guys probably heard about this, but uh, the New Zealand Police Department. Apparently, there's only one police department there. But Really? Yeah, uh, yeah it's apparently it's just New Zealand Police. There isn't, like, I thought wow. there'd be, like, specific, like, Auckland Police. But no, yeah, it's, okay. it's just New Zealand Police. Uh, their Twitter. So, and I, and I quote... 
when we have to tell someone their family member has died in a crash. Oh, I and saw this. And oh then with it, they've attached a GIF from the office, which has Michael Scott, and like it just says on the bottom, "This is the worst." Now it's very obvious what they're trying to go for. Yeah. But like you know. But obviously, to some people, it seems very insensitive. It's just <laughs> like you're using a like. Do you not know where this is from? It's from a comedy show. It's Michael Scott. Like, so it's very tone deaf. Yeah. Um, and then they try to justify they're like this is one of the hardest things cops have to do and, nobody, and everybody's like yes no, we know no, for sure yeah but use a different I mean maybe a meme isn't the most appropriate way to tell people that yeah at least but it got them on the map now we know who New Zealand police is I guess yeah no so they, I guess I guess you know they did a little bit better than Facebook <laughs> no they they got a lot of flack and they obviously took it down and apologized but yeah. it was not it was funny that it happened but yeah. um yeah so now we're just gonna get into like a bit of Small bit of news. Uh, the United States of America is uh, out of the FIFA World Cup hmm. after losing to Trinidad. To Trinidad, oh <laughs> their B team. Their B team. Tr- Trinidad was out. Do you know that they were out? They would have even if they won that game, which they did. They would not be in the World Cup, so they had nothing to lose or nothing to gain. And they so they brought their B team out, and they beat the entire A team of like the U.S. Yeah, I. It's... All the U.S. had to do was tie too. They right. couldn't tie against. The B team of like the worst team in their division, basically. This is what crazy. happens when you call the football soccer. But no, uh, <laughs> no. I think the more interesting part of this is that Fox paid four hundred million dollars, yeah, for the rights for the twenty eighteen and twenty twenty two World Cup, and now uh, U.S. is not even in one of them. Yeah, yeah. So, and uh, ironically, this is the one that's going to be held in Russia. So I guess because mm. no Americans are going to Russia this year. But yeah, that's uh, that's sports. Uh, the Samsung CEO. Has resigned, hmm. and uh, that's because of cor- like the company's been plagued with the corruption and like bad management, but they still make a lot of money, which yeah. is which is ironic because usually you don't think bad management and corruption doesn't usually end up too well. Well, like mm. it could be could be middle management and lower management are really good. It's possible, too. yeah. You know, not see. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not necessarily the CEO that's bringing the innovations to companies. That's definitely true. Yeah, and a lot of the corruption. I mean, if you have a lot of money. You can get away with a little bit of corruption because yeah. there's enough for everyone to take. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, so last two bit of news uh, from TechCrunch: AOL Messenger hmm. is shutting down after 20 years. Which yep. I like. I thought like I'm America Online. I thought that entire company was just gone. I have to say AOL. Like it's so old. I was too young for it. Like so that's <laughs> that's crazy that it's still around. Yeah, it's mm. it's 20 years old this year. Yeah. Yeah, these things happen. I mean, you guys aren't even you guys aren't old enough to know ICQ, right? No, no. Yeah. yeah, yeah. ICQ was the thing. It was the the first one. Oh, was it like a messenger platform? Yeah, okay. yeah, it was. You know, it was um, PC based. You know, you had to install the client locally, and you had to remember your unique ID number in order to be able to like know who you are and you know get on other people's lists. Perfect. Yep. So, so if you lost that, you just you kind of had to restart. Yeah. yeah, it's like you had to memorize everyone's phone numbers. Yeah. Oh my god! All right. Uh, last bit is uh, a bit of gaming news. So this is from Newsweek. So people are upset over uh, Wolfenstein mm. because the, one? the new one. Because uh, now I this came. I don't really like to get political, but this is in 2017. People are upset because Wolfenstein is a video game that's based around killing Nazis, and uh, people are upset because it. Uh, these are some of the tweets that are targeted towards it. it says, "You sound like you hate people that support Trump." <laughs> And then it was like I feel like that 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 almost sounds like a satire <laughs> comment, doesn't it? That doesn't sound like a real comment. No, it doesn't. But it was. I like I, I read that I'm like, how is this it's a game about killing Nazis? Can you imagine like 
imagine Call of Duty, the new, there's a new the World new, War Two one. Yeah, imagine that getting flack. Can you imagine that for <laughs> depicting Nazis? No, it's and somebody else was like, "You're tapping into the leftist power fantasy." I'm like, "Of killing oh, Nazis? No. That's like being an American fantasy for like years." Yeah, well, you know, I mean, you can't discriminate against these poor Nazis. You know, they just. <laughs> Like what they're, having, they wrong, right? they're having it so rough these days. <laughs> no, that was that was like the one thing I read. I'm like, that's, that's, that's surreal. Be, that's actually surreal. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was like a joke. I'm like, this game's been around forever now. Like yeah. it's, it's like pioneer first person shooting. Yep. And, and there's there's some groups that you are still okay, you know, going after in games. Yes, I feel like, like it's great. Like five years ago, this would not even have been like on the onion. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. Times change, I guess. Times change. That's a bit of news we have. Um, so now we're going to get into questions. Yeah. So uh, first bit of question for you, Steve, is um, how, do, how do students get into research? Well, I mean, okay, so not all students necessarily need to. Um, so for anyone who's listening out there, if you're not getting into research, it's okay. But a lot of people want to take advantage of the fact that they're at U of T because U of T is kind of this research powerhouse. Yeah. And if you're here, you might as well find out what new interesting things are going to be coming out in technology in the future. And so out of all the different profs, like each of them has their own research area. And each of them is working on new things that are going to add to the state of the art. You just got to figure out which ones or which areas you're interested in. And once you figure out what areas you're interested in, then that narrows down the kind of profs you probably want to talk to. And then the only thing is to talk to them. Um, Almost every prof has research going on. Usually that's done by some of their grad students, but they have opportunities for undergrads who want to work on something small. Um, it's typically something that, you know, prof is just curious to see if it'll work or not. And so you say, hi, you know, my name is Hader. I'm a student who is in your class and I'm really interested in the work that you're doing. And I wanted to do like a 494 independent project with you, um, hopefully in the areas of this, this and this. You know, I've got experience in this, this, and this. I think it could be a lot of fun, and I'd really be interested in working with you. And that's that. I remember you, you mentioned uh, the uh, you mentioned the the research research opportunity program. Yep. Uh, how can undergrad students leverage that? All right. So say you're not in fourth year, or you're not at the point where you can go after the four ninety fours. There are a couple of things you can do um, after your first or second year. So the they're labeled as research opportunity programs or ROP offered through arts and science. So anyone who's not in arts and science can't go after them. Right. And what happens is that these applica- like these areas, uh, they get posted in the winter and all the different profs who are offering one of these research opportunity programs puts a little description online and you can send in an application. Profs will get all these applications, decide how many people they want to take in and those students will get to work with the prof over the summer, get course credit and work on some researchy kind of task okay that, that's actually pretty cool so i know yeah. i know we get a lot of like a lot of students come by and see this you and, and always ask um you know how can i get involved in research we get those i think a couple every week yeah because yeah. like a, people are generally like speaking they, yeah. they are interested especially 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 sec first second years they're always curious eager yeah. yeah yeah so i mean yeah this thing works all the time and usually the people that i get they're like it's a ROP 299 for people who are just finishing first year, ROP 399 for people who are just finishing second year. Okay. And I know in the past I've had people work on my research on making video games for blind players, uh, video games for seniors, and these days um, studies on video games that are meant to teach. Yeah. So yeah. educational game design. Okay. 
it's kind of ties into uh, question two. Yeah. So for question two is, uh, what do you see like the role of gaming in education like in the next decade? Ah, uh, okay. So one of the things that I've I've tried saying, and this might be a bit sensationalist, but it's just I want to see games replace all lectures and assignments. Yeah. Um, Most me too. Yeah. <laughs> Well, because every game teaches you stuff, no matter what. Like, even if it's not teaching you something out of a high school or university curriculum, you end up learning about things like, you know, how to operate the controls, yeah. you know, strategies you can use, some of the backstory or some of the interesting characteristics of the players you're controlling or the players you're interacting with. So there's always things that games are teaching you so that you can play the game. And so the thought is, you know, why can't we make some of these games teach things that are a little bit more, I don't know, applicable to our studies? Right, where some of the skills that you learn have parallels to the things that you're trying to learn in class. And also, games provide feedback, you know, and the feedback is usually instantaneous, so it's not like you submit an assignment, you wait a week, and then you get an assignment back, and you've forgotten exactly what you were doing when yeah. you were making it. This one, it's like you do something, you get immediate feedback. You do it again, get immediate feedback. And it's not like you, assign, uh, you send in an assignment once, and then that's it. You can redo a level as many times as you want until you get it right. Right? And so you can try new strategies, you can try new things until you figure out something that allows you to get past it. And even if you get past it, you can go back and do it again if you want to three-star the level. right? So there's a lot of stuff that you could do with games that just don't happen these days. We'd love to be able to, but you know, if we can make a game that's effective at you know, uh, helping introduce people to a concept and then uh, giving them feedback on how they can improve their, their performance, then yeah, we could replace all of our classes and lectures with it. I guess this also ties into, you were saying, uh, kind of how with research, with uh, gaming research involving uh, people that, who are blind as well as uh, seniors too. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I guess the same kind of logic. Yeah, the seniors one is because we want to help people with, I don't know, we want to help people maintain their cognitive abilities. Right. Um, so that things like driving simulators can help seniors uh, maintain their abilities so that they're not limited or they don't lose their license. Yeah. As soon as you lose your license, then that has a big effect on your ability to get around and that affects your, uh, I guess, your perception of the world. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, so everything, like all games teach you something anyway. You know, so I'm just trying to figure out how to channel that stuff now into something that we need to learn. Yeah. Do you think that uh, we'll be able to see something like that being implemented in, like, the next... Like, obviously, like, not in the near future. I, don't, I wouldn't say not even the next decade, but like, do you have any? It could be the next decade. Well, I mean, we already see games in our classes anyway, right? I mean, if you think about it, classes are really like there's a certain gamification to it. Like, you know what kind of goals you have. You know, trying to your overall goal to pass the level is that you have to get a certain mark in the class. Yeah. And how do you do that? Well, you've got these little sub goals that you need to do, and these things kind of space them out. And they're spaced out in such a way that you kind of slowly increment your skills. You have little bosses. You know, like your midterms, where your boss is supposed to be a way of testing all the stuff that all the skills that you've learned up to that point, and you have to pass the boss in order to be able to get to the next part. I mean, there are there are those parallels. You make you make uh, school sound a lot more interesting than it is sometimes. <laughs> I'm just saying that we forget sometimes that this gamification pervades our everyday life in so many different ways. Yeah. Um, one of the examples I always like to point to are things like like Air Miles cards, you know, which have like points yeah. and they've got goals and they've got behaviors that they're trying to teach you to do you know and spend so more 
Yeah. And so you play the game and you change your behavior in order to try to navigate through the rules that it sets out for you. And you try to hit these points where you can get little rewards. I mean, there's games everywhere, you know, whether we're aware of them or not. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so uh, for question three, so you, uh, before we get like too into it, we'll say like you co-started an event called, you know, Level Up Showcase. Yep. So well, like, what is that? In <laughs> It started off actually here at UFT only, where um, upstairs in room 5250, we had my 404 video game course, you know, the finer projects. We put them on display there and we invited people to come by. Um, we actually got people who just, you know, walked in, you know, other students at UFT just came in and they played the games and they actually got a chance to evaluate the games and say what they thought. So their opinions went towards the final marks in the course. And so this was just kind of a thing we hosted. You know, every year people had to get their final marks from whoever played their game. And then we paired up our course with OCAD so that their artists and our programmers worked together to make the games. And so we did the same thing, but we didn't want to host it here. So we hosted it just at, I think, the TIFF Lightbox. Okay. That's yeah. cool. Oh, it was just built. They didn't have anyone using it, and they wanted to encourage people, so they allowed us to use their space for free. So we brought our games there, and we had a friend out at UIT who brought their students' games out, and we had a little party, and it was huge and packed. And, s and we had a bunch of people from industry come in too, so it was kind of a neat thing. So we said, okay, this is great. Let's make it bigger. And so we went from having three schools together to having six schools, and then 12, and then 15, and now wow. it's something like 17. Like basically any program that has a video game course or you know video game students, um, they have students that are showing their games at this at this showcase event and so now we're down at the design exchange that's you know downtown at like wellington and bay we get all these big industry sponsors to come and help fund the event we have about 88 teams from 17 different schools um, we get all this media coverage so i think last year i was on breakfast television for that's, a little bit promoting really the cool. event wow yeah, yeah it's it's kind of grown a lot faster and a lot bigger than I ever thought it would. It was because it was just a small little thing upstairs, you know, at the time that it started. Do you see it like continually growing? Oh, I think at this point we've managed to reach a certain saturation. Okay. Um, the space is just big enough to house all of these, like the 90 or so projects. We've run out of universities to expand to, you know, like we have every program, even some some schools that don't have gaming programs but have gaming clubs have sent some of their students to this event. That's cool. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, so we've just, just it's just been one of those things. It's like a black hole that just keeps sucking people in. And now we're at this critical mass. So it's about the right size. Like we just want to maintain it and make sure that it stays good. Have you seen from Level Up Studio, uh, Showcase, I mean, um, a higher interest from students trying to get into game development? Yeah, I mean, most of what we're trying to do is try to get more awareness for the outside world of what we're doing. Yeah. You know, we can sometimes be a little cut off from people. And even though I try as much as I can to bring industry people into U of T and, you know, into computer science, it's events like this that really they catch people's attention. And so what we wanted to do was to say, look, here's all these people who are graduating. The projects they're working on are super cool. If you're in the game industry and you're looking to hire people, come here. Yeah. You know, like it's wanted to be like a one-stop shopping area for hiring some of our graduates and taking them into the industry. No, definitely. Like, uh, okay. So you said, you know, that it started off from, like, you know, your room upstairs, and yep. now it's, like, you know, you're taking up Bain, Wellington. Yeah. So, like, uh, wh like, where do you want to see it go from here? Uh, these days, I mean, there's a skill that's, t that's needed in order to take an event and grow it. 
but then there's a different set of skills to take an event that's grown and make it like polished yeah. yeah and so that's where we are right now we've grown to the point where you know we're we've pretty much taken every college and university program we can and made sure they're showing up somewhere but now we're trying to embrace new technologies and trying to make sure we're showing those things off well so like a lot of vr games last year yeah tons and yeah vr games are hard to show and we're trying to figure out how to become not just good profs you know and good mentors but also event organizers and you know like how do we do a good floor show you know so that's the stuff we're trying to figure out right now i guess that's cool because you know it's not it's not an opportunity that uh that every prof gets to have i guess yeah or students too yeah most of the time like you finish your course you hand in your assignments and that's it but for this one it's like okay your last assignment is to come down here and show off the stuff to the world knowing that they are going to contribute to your final mark which is cool yeah because like there's there's often for a lot of classes especially in your first few years in cs uh, and sometimes even third or fourth years there's kind of a disconnect where you're like i'm doing this but kind of what am i doing with it kind of mm -hmm. it's cool to see stuff like that i think you know I wish almost more courses had kind of some, some, some aspect like that. Well, it's one of the things, like every prof's got a different perspective on what they like or what their priorities are. Yeah. For yeah. me, a big thing I want to do is to make sure that the stuff that you do in my class, you know, it gets, like you get to see the impact on how this could actually work in the real world, right? Because, I mean, you're not going to be here forever. At some point, you have to go out there. So yeah. if I can facilitate that or just, you know, thrust people into the thick of things, then, you know, at least you get a chance to see it before you have to go out into the real world for, yeah. for reals. Yeah. Uh, I think it's always a concern, too, for, especially for, not especially for CS students, but for CS students, they're always worried about kind of how do I, how do I start, you know, how do I leave my first kind of little impression. Hmm. Uh, I just want to add one more, like, uh, like Toronto, like, has, like, a good indie scene. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah, like, uh, like uh, one of the games I played, like, two years ago that really, like, stuck out was, like, uh, Guacamelee. Yep. yep. Yeah, drink box. <laughs> and I really, like, I played that game and I was playing on my Vita. I wasn't expecting high things from it, but like I'm like, whoa, oh, this is that's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, good. And then like I played Severed. So like Toronto has like a like a pretty good indie scene. I know there are like a few other companies. Mm -hmm. The Yukon game, Yukon, yeah, yeah, Yukon games. Uh, so Drinkbox, Big Viking, um, Cappy, uh, Capybara games. Yeah. Um, and uh, Gameloft. Gameloft's from Toronto? They have a Toronto, they oh, have yeah. a Toronto studio. I mean, yeah, they're based in, largely in France. Same with, same with Ubisoft, now we mentioned it. Ubisoft yeah. has a pretty pretty big Toronto office. Yeah, yeah I, when we're talking about indies, though, that's why yeah. it's Ubisoft office. And there's also like Arcadium and. There's big ones. And if you get like further out, then you get to things if like. If you go to Montreal, Montreal, then you have Square oh. Enix, and then you have like Assassin's Creed and like yeah. you know, the yeah, big, yeah, big. A2M and yeah. yeah they've, even EA, like Zynga, has an office yeah. in Toronto. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Right. That's great. I'm, like, no, that's uh, that's great. Because usually, I don't, I don't know, like, a lot of people, like, at least before earlier, when I was, like, maybe in high school, I'm like, there's enough stuff that happens in Toronto for me. To, like, I just show up for, like, Yu-Yo conventions, and that's mm -hmm. about it. But, like, uh, now, like, you know, like, we have, like, a decent... I know we started recently having Comic-Con, but then now, like, Level Up... Do you guys open up Level Up Showcase to the public? Yep. Yep, we want to make sure that everyone just comes in and sees what we can do. Yeah. So, hold on. So, when is it this year? So, it's going to be April 4th. April Basically, 4th. it's like the last day of class. Okay, okay cool. Yeah. yeah, if it's April 5th, I can't make people, I can't make my class present. We should have a live Room 2250 podcast. <laughs> yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. Uh, so, no, but it's it's good for that. Like, Toronto does have a nice indie scene. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, Ubisoft kind of came in and they, they are like a, 
uh, Giants studio. Yeah. So um, I know that's like that changed the dynamic a little bit, but we still had a lot of like really small little studios, you know, handful of people and hundreds of them. So, you know, Toronto was really great for that kind of community. Yeah, Ubisoft walked in, so like, how can I add macro transactions to all these games? Yeah. No. Uh, from there, we're going to move on to, like, the fourth question. A little bit of change. We're going to go back to uh, academia. Uh, academia. Yep. So, you know, you're currently uh, pursuing your PhD at OISE. Yep. Right? Yeah. Yep. So, uh, in, in, instead <laughs> of being in the field, so what, what keeps you in academia? Well, okay, so... I guess there's a couple answers to that one. Um, the first one was that when I first started here, like as a as teaching faculty, the main thing wasn't that I needed to do a lot of research. The main thing was delivering courses. You know, we had to make sure we were good at being able to deliver like first, second, third year content, and and yeah, the the research was still of an interest, but it was always going to be sort of a secondary thing. But longer you're here, you know, the more you know, two fifty eight becomes comfortable, yeah. and the more kind of side things tend to pop up. Um, and so, like even just before this, I had a meeting with people from Toronto Rehab because they'd like to collaborate with me on making games that can help make their stroke rehab therapies more engaging. It's neat stuff, right? Yeah. Like these things just come. And, and so you eventually start to develop a little bit of interest. And after doing grad school a long time ago, I, you know, I missed some of it and I get a chance to get back into it in some ways. So all of us, like research faculty definitely have a lot of research interest, but even the teaching faculty do. And I realized, you know, I, I never actually finished my PhD. Like I got accepted into the program, but took the job here and thought, all right, you know what? I, I'm doing all this research on the side anyway. I might as well get some credit for it. Okay. So applied for the PhD program. So basically the work I'm still doing, the, one, the stuff I was doing before anyway, is now going towards the thesis as opposed to just being stuff that goes off into the void. Yeah, that's really cool. Yep, so Oise so was because, I mean, I've been teaching here for a while, and the games that I've been making, yeah, ones for seniors and for blind people, you know, they've been great. But the educational ones are a challenge, right? Because it's really tough to make a game that's educational and doesn't either lose the educational value or seem like a, like a gamified worksheet. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so I figured I got a supervisor up there who's willing to watch over me as I do my work. And in a few years, I'll be Dr. Engels. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah that's, you know, and, and for that reason alone, I would do it. Are you going to make, are you going to start making your students have to refer to you as a doctor? I don't know, I'm still trying to figure that one out. Do you either call me uh, Dr. Engels just, or just doctor? There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of teaching faculty who are actually doctors that you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have thought. It's like Francois Pitt. What? He's Dr. Pitt. Oh no! Oh yeah, I you feel so bad. I've never called I know. him. That. I didn't You've call him. You've been so disrespectful all this yeah. time. I think, <laughs> he, I think he's, he's try, he tries to keep it tries to keep it casual though. Well, it's too late now. <laughs> I guess it's stuck. Yeah. I mean, we're all we're all pretty casual here, right? Yeah. yeah I, mean, which is I nice. remember when I was in, I came from engineering originally, and there you have to be very respectful. Yeah. Right? You you would never be able to call them like Francois. You'd have to say like, "Hello, Doctor Pitt. Pitt. How are you doing today?" I know, right? You should call him Doctor Pitt next time you see him. Everyone who's listening to this right now needs to call Francois Pitt Doctor. I always, I always try to make sure I give, I, I say honorifics in emails, especially if I need to do an assignment. Yeah, I have to hand it in late. It's always hello, professor, or hello, doctor, whoever. Like I'd like to keep professor, but like I, I'm pretty sure I said you know, Mr. Pitt or some oh, professor Pitt. Should <laughs> be Doctor Professor. No, <laughs> Doctor <laughs> Professor. Uh, I actually want to like because um, we brought this up a few times, but like it didn't hit me now. You said making games or like researching my games for the like blind. 
how like where do they get their feedback from because like 90% of games your feedback is visually I guess like yeah. minus a few games like racing games where you have feedback even like from the joystick but um, it's auditory too so the person who collaborated with me on this was uh, Daniel Zingaro uh, who's one of the teaching faculty out at Mississauga right now and um, being a, a blind member of our faculty he was complaining about how when he was growing up there weren't a lot of games that were accessible to him like he really enjoyed playing them but he'd play Mario by just by like pressing the button that would move him, waiting for a little bit, and then pressing the jump at the point where he knew he had to press jump in order to not die. So he would basically listen to things, and every time he heard like the death sound, he realized, okay, well that now we need to do that differently. Right. And so that's how he learned how to play, you know, play through Mario. That's really cool. It's, it's cool, cool, but it's also that's it's kind of it's, 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 it's not, we, it's not we should cool. be able to do better. Yeah. Than yeah. That. yeah. <laughs> so. So we were exploring, like looking at all the different things that we had available to us now in order to try to make games, like video games for people with no video. So we, we experimented, we, much, we made a bunch of different kinds. Um, we made one where it's like 3D navigation, you know, we use a controller in order to explore this world, but all the objects in the world are saying their name over and over again. Like, so the table would be hanging like table, table. And every time you go close, you can navigate through environment by making sure with a stereo sound you're keeping yourself like away from all the bad obstacles so things like that like we would make those kinds of games wow yeah i remember i know there's there's also some like uh text kind of based games that are pretty big i remember seeing one that was like a star trek oriented like you controlled the the enterprise but it was all through audio and it's like a very functional game like you could do you could shoot you could battle you could kind of be like the perfect captain okay yeah, i mean there's text based text based games have definitely been out there for a bit but you know it's what, what more can we do we want to try to unlock you know the wide space of games that people with vision can can access and you know try to see if we can create parallels yeah so yeah one of one of the people who was on this team that was making the stuff made a horror game um, someone else like made puzzle games someone else made a racing game you know, yeah. and so it was, it was great. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I just like, I guess you were asking me about why I decided to stay in academia and not go into the real world. Yeah. I had my taste of the real world, you know, it was great and fine, but, you know, I mean, you're always working on someone else's project. You had like nine to five hours. You had to always be right. like, and there was somewhere I had to come in wearing like, you know, shirt and tie and, <laughs> oh, I, I mean, that. yeah, just, it was terrible. Um, here, the nice thing is, well, I like, I like teaching for one thing. You know, there's something that's satisfying and altruistic about it, being able to help people and you know, pass on knowledge, uh, help people get jobs, and help people just learn things. Um, the social interaction is kind of nice. You know, I like that I'm actually interacting with other humans instead of just my computer all the time. And I guess yeah, the opportunity to work on things, you know, and to see new and interesting technology pass through all the time like people from Toronto Rehab wanting to come by and collaborate um, what else is I've, I'm working with uh, the University of Central Asia in Kyrgyzstan okay. um, helping the Aga Khan Foundation set up a completely new university in the middle of Kyrgyzstan wow, that's with, cool. yeah. yeah with a yeah. computer science like a basically it's a computer science based university program and we're helping furnish them with some of our materials to give them like a U of T level education um, that stuff's yeah, you wouldn't do that in the field. I've gotten a chance to work with the ROM to make video games and other sort of tech-based aspects of their existing exhibits. Uh, I've had a chance to work with local game companies. 
um, uh, some startups. I'm currently also working with this this startup that's basically making like like GarageBand in the cloud. Um, so we're working on helping them use technology in order to implement new ways of collaborating on music projects. Okay. You know, it's it's funny funny that you say that you say that because I think a lot of students kind of have this view of academia and, and kind of being a professor as being kind of cold and stale and boring. I, I guess I think a lot of people miss the interesting opportunities that it opens up. So what's it like being a professor that just tortures <laughs> students? I know, I know. I mean, I get it, right? Because we are sort of the gatekeepers for moving on. Like, we are the boss, right? And any boss at any level, I mean, don't have, like, happy, like, skippy feelings towards them all the time. Yeah. Um, but I guess there's all the other things that we're supposed to do. Like, U of T is not just a place where people get their degree. I mean, it's supposed to be a place where you learn, but also it's a place where new things are being developed. Like, all the stuff that you see in the consumer market, you know, starts off here 20 years earlier as, like, a concept that we work on and hone. Yeah. Right? And then... Places like Apple will take our ideas and make products out of them. But thanks, Apple. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, we are like an R and D center for the world, right? So, being able to be part of this is great, you know, and being able to kind of work on new, exciting areas of research that I find, you know, or that I think is interesting from one day to the next is is cool. Yeah. So, like these days, I'm working on a bunch of VR stuff just to see what can what can be done with it. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's solid. Well, it sounds really fun, actually. I think you, yeah, no, now you want me to be like... <laughs> Maybe I should be a professor. Maybe a professor of accounting. I'm sure there's a lot of fun there. <laughs> it, is a good, it is a good job. It's a good place to work. You know, it's, it's always challenging. You never have to worry about rotating jobs every two years yeah. to keep yeah. yourself fresh. It's like you have to stay fresh all the time, but it's, it's not a chore. Yeah. I, uh, I guess you answered, like, the second part of this question as well, which was... Uh, why should students go into academia instead of the field? Because it sounds really fun, actually. Because it sounds, it sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is fun, but it's not for everyone. There's a lot of people who, at the end of four years, are like, just get me out of this place, <clears throat> right? Like, A, I'm tired of being poor. <laughs> B, I want to deal with, like, I want to do some, like, real stuff. I've got all these ideas and stuff that I want to do. You know, I'm ready for the next step. You know, I'm tired of eating residence food. You know, whatever, whatever reasons you have. Like, people just want to go. Um, and it's not that there's people who necessarily want to stay because, oh my gosh, I just, I can't leave like the, the womb of university. It's, it's more like, you know, like I had a chance to go and try a bunch of other things and then decide, you know what, I actually kind of like, you know, the freedom and the ability to explore and, and that stuff. And some people don't need that. Some people want the complete opposite. I just want a place to give me money to do some basic task so I can check in at nine, check out at five. And do my own thing. Yeah. And do my own thing. Yeah. yeah. You know? And everyone lies on the spectrum somewhere along there. Some people have their own ideas where they want to be able to just make something and make money off of it. Like you don't go into academia because you want to make tons of money. You go in because, you know, you get a chance to do a job where they let you sort of stretch your mental muscles and, you know, see what kind of things you can do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's solid. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, uh, what the final question? So, uh, this is... This is we're debating if we should put this oh, question on, this. but we decided to keep it on. Um, so, do you think that uh, you know video games are like an art form? And the reason, like, I asked this because, like, I mean, like, at least ten years ago, like, I remember we had this. I had this debate in high school, and then people were like, they, at least, especially like teachers were like, no, absolutely not. Only paintings and music and uh, 
theater. Not like some of them were like not even movies or like yeah. only black and white movies. I'm like I don't know. They're but like, the role, but the, like the role of video games has changed so much. Like you're, as you're saying now, there's, you can use it for rehabilitation. You can use it for education. Um, okay, so yeah, this has been a hotly debated topic for a while, and I think, I think there was this big thing with like Roger Ebert, you know, when he was pronouncing them as not being an art form, and then eventually I think he kind of came around and changed his mind. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess the answer to our video games and art form is, um, if other things which are currently be considered are currently considered to be art forms, are you know part of that category, then then video games are too. Um, so just like things like movies, yeah. right? So people always see like, you know, almost like there's a difference between movies and film, right? Where film is art and movies are like entertainment, you know? And there's a blurred line between where you, you stop being a movie and you start being a film, right? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of games that are like purely because, you know, the game companies need to make money. So they make something that is incredibly fun and so sells a lot of copies. Call of Duty. Yeah, yeah. And on the other side, there's a lot of games that people don't know about, like especially the really indie ones. The ones where no one has any intention of making money off of them. It's just to express something. So one of the things that I'm doing right now is I'm teaching, as I said, I was teaching a first-year video game course. And the theme for that one is called Games for Change. And you can actually go to gamesforchange.org and see the kinds of things they do there. Those ones, it's all about creating almost like an interactive experience that can engage people way more than a movie can and teach people about not necessarily again like education from like a school point of view but teach people about different perspectives um, enact some kind of social change you know just try to help widen people's perspectives yeah. right and if that's not what art does then I don't know what it is right so these games like s things like uh, Papers Please yeah, that oh was yeah. a solid <coughs> heavy game. Right? Game. Heavy game is supposed to teach you all the different things that happen when people, like, it, what it would be like to actually, have, yeah, to cross the border and, like, how harrowing that can be, what it's like to have the, the lives of these people in your hands, not just the responsibility of letting the right people through, but also what happens if you don't let the right people through. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> there was this game called That Dragon Cancer where yeah it was like you play it and it's peppered with anecdotes of people whose kids have gotten cancer that's not from perspective of people with it but people who have kids with cancer and what it's like to kind of watch this you know watch this disease take over people's bodies um <coughs> these and then like they don't have to be like super serious messages they can be things like like journey or flower or flow or things that are beautiful to look at and really stimulating to play yeah yep. and, and so, so yeah. yeah all the different things that people consider to be art like there are areas where people consider like high art and low art and they can debate those things but i mean if those all belong or can be part of this artistic space then then so can games you know this kind of conversation reminds me of i guess <coughs> happened in the 80s and 90s and it still kind of happens a little bit where they were saying you know can a graphic novel be literature <laughs> people were debating you know can it be can it not be it's frenzy of that or even Andy Warhol's paintings yeah, right? yeah like he painted a giant can of soup and there was all these people saying like is this art or he he took a comic panel and he blew it up yeah, yeah. so that you could see like the the little stippling like pixels were like the size of, of frisbees and you know is this thing is this thing art and it's like, well, 
it's interesting when you frame it in this point of view and you, you let people look at it in this way like suddenly people are thinking and it's provoking thought it may not be as like creative in terms of like making something out of nothing but you know are you doing the things that art is meant to do yeah yeah i i mean i think there's like a like at least for modern art there's like a bit of a fine line i think uh if you, anybody wants to they can watch uh h3h3's video about modern art and because uh, at least for me like there's some things about modern art i'm just like no i don't get it See, and i feel like that's definitely like that's like i mean i'm sure like robert was like coming from the same thing because i just don't get it like you know and like that's maybe because it could also st- also just be that you're seeing the worst the worst of uh of what modern, modern art has to offer well, I don't know. there's like one where like somebody just threw like a oh, hot dog it, sandwich it, on but the but floor this, like is this is art it's like it's like let's go back to this video game debate kind of conversation if, if, if the only thing people ever saw was Call of Duty, they'd yeah, be like, they'd be like, video games aren't art. You know yeah. what I mean? So you know, it's definitely a fair point. Um, I think like the one like um, you mentioned it actually, Journey, mm-hmm. uh, Journey definitely kind of changed the way I looked at because like yeah. there's nothing, you don't say anything, you don't like you interact, and I mean like the slightest barely, you barely interact with somebody else mm-hmm. in the game. But like uh, you know, by the time the game ends, you don't know this person, you don't know anything about him, but you know that you completed this journey with them and it's super cool it's like you know it's like three hours sit down uh, yeah and that was like indeed they were also like i mean i'm sure a lot of you played like blockbuster games that also kind of ask uh, i think um the last of us and both red dead redemption both really made me raise some questions about at least for myself and that was when i'm like yeah i guess like even though these are block some these were blockbuster games i'm like yeah i would consider these more or less art they definitely made me think did you see, see yeah and I mean, things like Last of Us, they actually had someone, they had someone whose entire task was narrative. Yeah. 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 And to create a story arc that goes from beginning to end, where like he was doing things like making sure there was a collection of, well, every female character in that was a strong archetype, yeah. you know, so that there was none of the stereotype, stereotypical female characters exactly. in that one. And that's something that people realize afterwards, like, oh, wow, I didn't actually notice that. Yeah. That's yeah, actually, that's there's something happening. And there's also the development arc, you know, of the main characters and how they progress. And his entire job was to make sure that the game, yeah, it had these interactive elements, but that there was story and narrative development and everything you'd want from people. Yeah. It's uh, like playing through those games, it was like, I'd rather just like, I'm, I'm, I'm playing I'm playing it just to get to that cutscene because right, right. I want to see the character. And like, but like, I will say though, like that game is like kind of special because it's like the little moments as well in the, like, in the actual gameplay that... And they were very purposely. They're added. very purposely. Added. Nothing was like garbage. So, um, yeah. so I mean, it's hard to say. Like things like Call of Duty, right? Like is saving, pri- is saving Private Ryan considered to be art? Yeah, that's a good question. For, yeah, for, I mean, certain people, I'd say, yeah. Some people consider it to be more of like a simulation or you know, like a documentary. Some people consider it to be more of just entertainment value. I mean, heck, it's got like Vin Diesel in it. <laughs> um, you know, but at some point you're saying like, well, you know, there's creativity involved. You know, the way you put this together. You know, the way you're trying to evoke emotions from people, you know, there's something in there. Exactly. But it's also direct, it's directed by Steven Spielberg, so people are likely to dismiss it as just being this entertainment. Right. <laughs> it's right, it goes all over, right? There's, yeah. yeah, so like Call of Duty, it's hard to say. I mean, the way it, it involves a lot of artistic resources oh, in yeah, terms yeah. of people creating the characters and the environments and yeah. the story and the, even like this level progression. like it's kind of like an architecture feel to it in terms of being able to make it clear what it is you're supposed to do and how to navigate through it's it. Some amazing cutscenes. Like, I mean, like, when I mean cutscenes, I mean, like, set pieces that kind of happen. I'm like, ooh. Right? So, at some point, you know, how is that starting to become different from a movie? Exactly, right? yeah. 
Or if you made like an animated movie, how is it different? Yeah, Except yeah. that the animated movie, you don't interact with it. Right? Whereas, yeah. So I think it's just that when you think games, people are thinking like, oh, well, like I'm playing something. And so therefore, there's no, like, I'm, I'm more involved, whereas art is a little bit more passive. Like, I need to have someone create something for me, and I just enjoy it. I mean, I guess it's, it's almost kind of crazy, though, I think, just to kind of put a whole blanket of concept on across a whole medium. You know, imagine saying all TV is, is or isn't art. It's, it just yeah. seems crazy to, for people to say video games can't be art. I don't know. Well, it's saying that TV isn't art is a lot more popular than saying movies aren't art. Oh, well, yeah, it is. It is. It is, right? it is definitely more popular. Yeah, because the idea is, like, you're generating more of it. And it's, I don't know, like... <clears throat> It's hard to say. I don't know why. Why are movies considered to be art, but TV is not? You know, and games. I think there's people look at things like things like Monopoly or like, you know, Checkers or Hopscotch, and they say like, well, games aren't art. It's just, you know, this cultural phenomenon that people do. It's like, it's more of a custom or a behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know. Maybe it comes from like I think it comes from like history as well. Like, theater and uh, like music definitely has like a long and like obviously like. It used to just be entertainment. Yeah. I think theater, it wasn't even always considered art. Yeah. No, it's... Yeah, so that's why I think, you know, all these parallels, people draw a lot of parallels between movies and games. Say, like, games are basically, like, movies, just more interaction. Especially these days with the production value in games. It's hard to say that there's a huge difference between what you would see in a game, like the cutscenes and the, the things you can interact with, and what you'd see in an animated CG movie. Yeah. yeah. $70 million budgets. Yeah, like big budget. Um, some games, some games like have crazy budgets now. No, they yeah. do. I mean, to be fair, a lot of them are just marketing. But if you just yeah. so like if you look at the development costs, like they're still they still run up. The figures pretty high. Yeah. Um, now, uh, my second part of this question was like, what what game like kind of stands out like, you know, for you that kind of like talks about this notion? Because for me, like I already mentioned, it was like you know like. Journey and then Blasphemous, even though these are recent. I mean, I guess from my childhood, I didn't really pay attention to this stuff. Okay, okay. But uh, like Kingdom Hearts stands out. But I, like I don't know, so it's, it, that was definitely like a blockbuster. <laughs> it was like just Disney, like yeah. X Square Enix. But nonetheless, uh, like what what but like for from your examples, I think me and Chris might have like similar thoughts. Thoughts, Minions, but yeah. you know, you 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 more or less have seen like I guess games progress. A lot of games. Yeah, <laughs> from the beginning. I mean, the very first video games, like they tend to coincide with about the time that I was born. You know, so I grew up with like Donkey Kong and like the really basic eight-bit stuff that you play on the Atari. The real art. The yeah. real games. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if I'm talking about art, the the one that I would urge people to check out, and I showed this to all of my video game classes, is this game called Passage. 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 You can just download it for free. It's a tiny little thing. You install it, you run it, and you play it, and you kind of don't know what it was that you just played at the end. And I play it with my first year class, and we just discuss it to say, like, so what just happened? You know, that one's that was a good example of something that's very short, and it gives you this feeling of, like, okay, you know, I feel different now that I've played this. Um, even though I don't quite know what it was that I played. Um, in terms of the things that I find, are you talking about games that I find memorable? Both, both actually. Like, yeah. would, would games that you found like art, or like games that like that are memorable? Um, so the ones that I thought, oh, I guess yeah. Over the years, there were just a lot of, yeah. There was a lot of really interesting ones that I played. Like when I was when I was young, it was all the typical ones, you know, like the Mario, 
like the original Mario Brothers, not the Super Mario with like little mushrooms and no more none yeah, of that three D stuff. No, not even that. I mean, like even the one that people think of when it comes to rescuing the princess from yeah, the you're castle. You're talking about the one with Mario and Luigi. At the very beginning, oh. where it was just a bunch of pipes and you yeah. Know, yeah, there was yeah. So there's some old stuff that I remember seeing, like even Donkey Kong, where Mario's like the bad yeah. guy because yeah. you know he he was trying to go and capture Donkey Kong and put him in a cage. Yeah, and, yeah. So there was all that stuff growing up. I mean, and there was a bunch of really interesting games. You know, like I played things like Ultima Four. I played a bunch of really like bad games too, like. Home Alone the game, <laughs> you know, whatever I could get from my cousin after he like illegally burned these things. But, but oh, oh the ones I do remember were the King's Quest games when I was growing up. Those were ones where, like, yeah, you're it was maneuvering through like a two and a half D level, and you're trying to collect a bunch of items and solve a bunch of little puzzles. And they made a King's Quest, King's Quest Two, King's Quest Three, Space Quest, Police Quest, Heroes Quest. You know, there's a whole series yeah, of yeah. games that was really popular in like the early. 90s. Okay. Okay. Um, like getting later, I guess yeah. There were some. I played a lot of the rhythm games that came before Guitar Hero ever started up, like Amplitude and Frequency. Um, I played. Oh gosh. Oh, there's so many <laughs> of these little things. Trying to think about. Um, like I played Last of Us. I played. I guess more recently, I played like Horizon Zero Dawn. You know, like things like that. Yeah. The one that I remember the most that I, I felt so compelled to n- and drawn to, was was Katamari. Oh, oh yeah. Katamari Damacy. Yeah. It is a, it is a weird. Game. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's like one of those like how do you even describe it? You're, uh, no, no, you're just moving. You're a ball. Yeah. Kind of. I, well, I describe. Yeah, I describe the mechanic as like you know what it's like snowball mechanic. Yeah. yeah. Right. You're rolling the sting, trying to make the ball bigger, but it's everything else. It's like the bizarre music. It's like the weird that big, like, animation style. Yeah. 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 And like the, the dialogue that they write is just so strange. Like you're wondering what they were smoking at the time they write this. <laughs> so Japanese. It's so bizarre, but. It's also a very simple game mechanic, and it's compelling, and it's you know almost like mindless, but also kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't know why that game keeps bringing me back. Yeah. Okay. W- how about yourself, Chris? For me, I would say like the first game I ever played that I was like, "This is art." Was when I was probably in high school and I was playing Ico. Okay. And it's one of those games where, I mean, it almost didn't feel like a game. Like it almost it's not a game yeah. in a way, but it is a game, and. It was just so different than anything I played, and I think more recently, I, one one of the things like games that's really been sticking out with me is uh, I've been playing a lot of this game called Dwarf Fortress, and it's like a text-based game, but uh, it's kind of made by these two like ma- mathematicians, and the entire idea of the game is to kind of simulate an entire reality. So it has all these crazy mechanics, um, probably the most detailed procedural generation you'll ever see in a game ever. So it's just really cool to see like what this these two mathematicians interpretation of how life kind of grows and what happens with life um kind of how, how kind of how that works wow. and it almost ends up being this uh almost like this little museum where you can kind of you can play it you can interact with it but you can also just see how did my world grow uh what happened to all the characters in it and it's just there's just so much to it that i've just uh i don't know it, it I, I come back to it every you know at least once a year to, to check it out and it's just such a different different experience I think than you'll find from most games. Mm-hmm. 
it's it is kind of weird in my position right now having seen all these waves and like generations of games that people will never even know about yeah it's it's hard sometimes to talk about yeah I, i mean it's put me in a unique position where i never i never started off this job thinking i was going to be like a video game prof right it was just one of those things that happened you know students came said that they wanted to make a, they wanted to make some games and get course credit so i said all right i'll make a course and like 10 years later it's kind of dominated my life but yeah i've seen a lot of stuff go by over the years like there was a whole time when i was playing a bunch of olympic space games because that was the thing you know it took four years to develop one of these things so they would make games that coincided with the olympics so you yeah. could play the events you know, a lot of things that tied into weird IP at the time. Like, yeah, playing, like, the Home Alone, the game. You know? Um, like, playing Goonies in the arcades when I was growing up. Yeah. Like, yeah. the arcade version. And it was a really good game. Goonies? Was it? Okay. Yeah. It was tons of... It was actually really, really good. Um, it's hard to find games that are tied with, like, other IP that, like, I know. good. I mean, a lot of them are surprising. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was a text ba- they had a text-based game based around it which is one of the most oppressively frustratingly difficult games just to figure out like what is it you want me to do like are you serious I can't <laughs> <laughs> how would I have thought of that yeah <laughs> okay um, yeah and so just seeing all these different games come through and yeah, trying to like trying to teach uh, our students about all the stuff which you know sometimes you can only get from like years and years of history is is challenging but yeah I'm glad I have. I, I'm glad to know that all those years of playing video games growing up has led to something useful now. Yeah, yeah. you'll take you that long. Yeah. 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 See, <laughs> see, Dad, you thought that I wasn't going. <laughs> I wasn't going to match anything for taking video games. Now look at me. Yeah. No, uh, no, definitely. Yeah, I, uh, Chris, do you have any other questions? I don't. I don't. There is actually a question from a listener. You're actually really? the first, first guest that's actually had a proper question. That's that's a proper wow. question. He's listening right now and is asking a question he, at the moment. Well, no, no, it's like uh, no, no. Oh. We put up, we put up that you're gonna be uh, a guest about a, about a week before, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then we say, do you want to ask an anonymous question? Or like I just I'm go around asking. Ask. So uh, yeah. somebody, I'm a little scared, but okay. no, no. It's uh, somebody asked, um, how do you like uh, apart from like uh, you know work, how do you manage everything you do outside? Like how do you find that work-life balance? Uh, okay, well, yeah, no, that's that's tough. Um, a lot of us, like, it's hard to know because, you know, we try to hide this, but a lot of us are, are definitely, like, over overwhelmed with all the stuff that we have to do. Um, most people only see us in terms of their classes, and so I think people sometimes imagine that as soon as we leave the classroom, we sort of, like, like blink out of, out of existence and reappear at the beginning of the next class, <laughs> you know, or the, but... But I find it is it is challenging to do all the things that we are ultimately responsible for, all the things that we would like to do because they have personal interest, all the things that we'd like to do because they would kind of help make our world and you know computer science better, and then go home and try to be like a good you know friend, um, spouse, you know father yeah. child you know like all those things that you try to do at home um and not to mention things like you know, staying in shape and eating well and making sure you sleep and that's, that's bottom of the list <laughs> yeah well, <laughs> what so what they say is that like it is at, at the beginning like when you first start working especially there's a lot of extra time you know like you make things work and it's easy um the longer you go the more things get a little bit tougher in terms of extra obligations because you've become more indispensable to your company you become 
you know, more knowledgeable, and so therefore a lot more stuff ends up on your plate. And you also take on a lot more responsibilities, in, like personally. You know, so things like, oh, like yeah, getting married, having kids, you know, taking care of your of your parents. That's a tough one. The the only thing I guess is that. Like as you get older, you start to realize that everything that was tough for you before is more manageable. And anyone who's in fourth year knows this, right? You look back at first year. First year was so tough, oh, right? Yeah. Oh my god, there was so many things I had to learn. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I didn't know how I was going to manage all my classes. And then you look back in second year, and you're like, from what? That was so easy. That was like a tutorial level. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and likewise, you know, people who are in 258 right now. I mean, I know, I know it's tough. Sorry, anyone who's taking 258, I know it's tough. Um, but then when you get into like third year and fourth year, it's like, okay, you know what? Eh, 258 was just, it's now normal. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's, it's kind of interesting to think that it's true. Like, I don't feel like I'm, you know, more mentally capable than I was in first year. Like, I don't, my brain's, I know it's still probably growing a little bit, but I don't feel mind-blowingly smarter. Like, when I was 14 and I was 8, I, I obviously felt much smarter than between now and, and when, you know, finishing school. But being in first year, it's, I would never been able to imagine that I'm in the courses I am in now, kind of. Because the, just the, the kind of level of difficulty, it's obviously increased, but my ability to management, it's like you said, it's it's a lot easier now for me. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I think uh, our friend Jake put it in good words. Uh, he said, just kind of go with it. You look at, you're, you're like, all right, this is a difficulty, and it, like this is, I'm just, like, I'm just gonna go with it from now on. Yeah. Like, it just is what it is. And I mean, yeah, that's I think that's one of the challenging things is that your perspective on what's tough and what's difficult to manage changes over time. And the only way it changes is by experiencing things like the, those rough periods where, you know, you're not sure how you're going to make it through. Yeah. Um, I mean, those like, we could have a long talk about all the different things that you need to think about when it comes to getting through those rough periods, you know, like finding sources of support, um, you know talking to people about how you can approach this in a way that can help solve your problem in you know the ways that your old techniques were not um but also some of it is just remembering that you know this too shall pass yeah, right? yeah. that i think about things you know oh uh, and even the worst parts of the term i think you know what in a few months this this term will all be done and it'll be summer. It'll, be, it'll yeah, be holiday yeah it'll be like the the winter holidays and okay there's gonna be another course and there's but even that's going to be done. They'll have the, the summer holidays and then things. And so it's always knowing that, you know what, at some point, this everything that you're going through right now will be part of your past that you remember. And it's just a matter of, you know, just getting through it so that you can become stronger for it. And what's really tough is that, you know, some of the things that people consider hardships now are actually things that people will look back and wish they could do again. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Some people, so many people, they graduate and they miss school so much because they just, they love the chance now to be able to go back and do an assignment because it would be kind of fun to be given these little challenges that don't necessarily have to, like, they're not going to get you fired if you don't do it right. Yeah. 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 It's fun to have yeah. only five hours of sleep. Yeah. They think, you know what? It's kind of fun. I miss that. It, it kind of definitely, like, like it's, I think it's I think fun when you're out of it, but, like, when you're obviously when going through, you're like, I just want this to be over with. But as soon as you're done, you're like, yeah, I guess yeah, there was a little bit of fun, fun in there. Yeah. yeah, it's like working out, or it's like running a marathon, right? I mean, oh, oh, yeah. who runs a marathon because, oh, wow, this is great. It's like, I think it's almost a feeling of after you're done the marathon, like the sense of achievement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 100%. But, but yeah, everyone's going to go through some really tough stuff in life. And I guess, yeah, as you get older, you just kind of, 
the things that you go through end up becoming you know a lot rougher than you imagine but then it helps you it helps you deal with all the things that cons that you think are impossible to deal with right now like that work-life balance that seems impossible uh, you find ways of making it work yeah yeah um so yeah i know like it's friday right it's friday at three fifteen, yeah, where yeah. we are after this you know i go home and I'm sure I've got a million emails in my inbox. Anyone who's trying to reach me tonight is not going to hear from me until tomorrow because I give myself that. Yeah. yeah. Right? I'm going home. I'm going to play some video games because I haven't played anything in like a month. And I am going to do me stuff. Uh, I've got to go home. I've got four midterms next week. So. <laughs> got it, but but the next week. Yeah. Oh, then yeah. that Friday. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. One tip I was told is that you maintain a schedule, you know, just to make sure you're working on everything. You get enough time set aside to work on, like, this project, this assignment. But you also, you set some time aside for you to do something for yourself. And that is sacred as much as any meeting or any other, like, midterm or obligation. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, because you basically say, you know what, you're gonna, you guys are gonna be 100% busy all the time anyway. You might as well have some say in what you're busy with, yeah. right? So join yeah. a club, you know, go on a date, run a podcast, run a podcast. You got to do some things that are for yourself as opposed to just for other people. All right, I think with that, we uh, yeah, will end the we'll show. End the show. Uh, thank uh, you very much for listening. And thank you thank so you much so for much being on, Steve. Yeah, thank you. No thank problem. You. Glad to be here. Everyone who is watching or who is listening, you know, I'm glad you could come join us. Make good choices. Yeah. yeah. All right. Until uh, next episode. Yeah. All right. Take care.